Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Cash Talk. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Olympic superstar and now CEO of Generation Life, Grant Hackett. Grant's accolades in the pool are astonishing. Seven-time Olympic medalist, eight-time Commonwealth Games medalist, and former world record holder. In his prime, Grant was the fastest long-distance swimmer in the world and the shining star of Australian swimming. Outside of the pool, Grant has established himself as a leader in the finance industry and is now the current CEO of GenLife. With over 16 years' experience, Grant has held many senior positions across marketing, distribution, wealth management for Westpac and BT. Grant's qualifications includes an executive MBA with first-class honours, a diploma in business law, a diploma in financial services. For, for those who are not familiar with what Generation Life is, it's the pioneer of Australia's first truly flexible investment bond. They have been the forefront of providing innovation in, uh, in, in sorry, in providing in, in, um, innovative investment solutions for over 17 years. Today, they are the leading provider in tax effective investment solutions and have over $2 billion invested today. Everyone, Grant Hackett. <laughs> G'day, John. Thanks for having me on the show. No, that's all right, mate. That's all right. Thanks for jumping on. So today, obviously, you know, a lot of people know you outside of, uh, sorry, inside the pool, actually. Um, and obviously, mm-hmm. including myself, was very fortunate to see the accomplishments in the pool. But, you know, for me, who's in the industry, I know about Grant outside of the pool and, you know, I'm trying to, you know, really kind of making waves um, outside of the pool and in regards to the financial services industry. And and for the listeners and the viewers, um, we're really kind of going to be going through a very unique uh, skill set that Grant's got, actually, is having the combination of the two together. Um, so really, we want to be going to going at how they relate to one another and then really get into, into you know, investment bonds and how they play an important role um, in what what I do for my clients and, and, and what Australians can do uh, with their wealth. So Grant, the swimming stuff goes without saying, um, and most people know about your story here, but, you know, looking at financial services, you know, how did you get into the financial industry and, and what do you enjoy about it the most? It's funny ever since, you know, I was probably, you know, super young, I was always interested in finance, you know, entrepreneurial type things, like anything sort of commercial, anything transactional, I always really enjoyed. So I wanted to get into business, you know, even through my swimming career, my teenage years, I was always asking, um, you know, people that I knew that were in business or ran different businesses, how do they go about it? And, and you know, what is it sort of, I guess, um, you know, all the different parameters that have to come into it to be successful. And I really wanted to understand those key drivers of success. And Really, I just seemed to gravitate more and more towards finance. And it was back in 2003, I sat down with a couple of very, very senior figures um, within the financial services industry, which I had the opportunity because of my swimming career, which I'm just so grateful that I had, and basically said, you know, these are the areas that I'm interested in. You know, one was in investment banking, one was the retail and commercial banking side and investment management as well. And kind of, I just started getting some really good guidance from there midway through my career. And my dad always said to me, you have to retire to something, not from something as an athlete. So I was really, really conscious of having a career and a deep sense of purpose outside of the pool. So for me, as much as everybody got to see, I guess, the the, the swimming career and the accolades and the success that came with that, 
I was a whole other person, I guess, outside of the pool. Like people don't get to see day to day. That doesn't get the publicity, or the, or people don't get the insights around. Mm. Um, but that I'm truly passionate about. So as soon as I finished swimming, I, I literally went straight into to banking and finance, and then obviously now more on the investment side. But yeah, it's been something that I've been interested in from a very very young age. And and to be honest, I remember being in the middle of my <clears throat> swimming career and doing a university degree and being the only one sitting on a plane, kind of reading through textbooks because. I really had a strong interest outside of um, the pool that I wanted to pursue post my career because let's be honest, this career that I've got right now is already longer than my international swimming career and, and I'm only 41. So you yeah. know, you, you've got to make sure that there's other things in life as an athlete, regardless of what sort of financial success you might even have within that, the, the, the purpose and the sense of winning. I know for my type of personality, you know, I, I love to have a challenge, I love to have a goal and I love to try and be successful against that goal. So for me, that element is more important than anything else. Otherwise, I mm. find it almost destabilizing in a sense mm. that if I don't have that strong sense of purpose, I'm mm. like, what am I doing? Who am I? What am I up to? <laughs> so, mm. so I'm sort of one of those people you'll see at 80 probably still sitting beside a laptop just uh, or in front of a laptop trying to, you know, achieve the, the sort of next step relative to, to that phase of life. And I, I, I'll probably be with you, mate. So we'll probably be just looking at what's the next phase in the in the, in the financial world. Um, but that's a, that's a great one. I really liked how your dad actually said around, you know, um, that you've really got to look forward and, and you've really got to retire to something. I think a lot of athletes and a lot of professionals who do have those kind of short careers, um, you know, you should be listening to that and really hearing about that because I think that is one great piece of advice. I think the other one as well too is that, you know, you found something that you were really passionate about. I know in my own story and the people that know my story, I started when I was in the industry when I was 14. Um, so I was very blessed to find that from a very young age. And I think it's, you know, allowed me to just keep pushing forward and going at, going at a much um, harder pace because I just love it and I'm really passionate yeah. about it. And I see that coming through with you. But the other one as well too is around setting those goals. And you talked about, you know, your nature in regards to setting the goals and, and, and achieving them. And I think, you know, talking about the swimming career, I kind of say that that has to go without doubt. Um, my old man was a professional boxer back in the day, Grant, and, you know, it was very much about, you know, having a goal, you know, and really trying to kind of smash it out the park, which obviously has a major uh, bearing on the advice that I give my clients today. So, you know, why do you think that goal setting is so important and, and how can you maybe relate in swimming? And now, obviously, even mm. as the CEO of Generation Life and really at the forefront of, you know, investment bond innovation, how do you see this all relating? Oh, the fundamental principles of any sort of success are exactly the same. It doesn't matter what field or what industry you're in, that the behaviours are there to be successful. You're just applying it to a di different set of tasks and, and obviously a, a different field. So just to give you reference back in my swimming career, how I went about that, no one really mm. told me about goal setting when I was super young. It was just, mm. it was more intuitive. And, and really my big goals came about when I was 13. So when I was 13, it was 1993 and Sydney got the Olympic Games. And I thought, wow, go to an Olympic Games, but to go to one in your own backyard would be a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I um, I looked at who was the best in my event, which was a 1500 meter freestyle and Kieran Perkins, which is an Australian icon. And I just researched, I didn't have Google, we didn't have internet and all those sort of things back then. So I literally went through a bunch of swimming magazines to find this guy's best times as you know, 14, 13 year old, 14 year old, 15, 16, 17, then you're in the open category across all the main events, the 200, 400, 800, 1500 meter freestyle. And it, it, and I just wrote those goal, those times down and put them up as my goals to either emulate those times or beat those times. Cause I thought, well, he's the Olympic champion. He's the world, world record holder and world champion. How do I actually get there? Well, I just have to take those progressions that he took 
um, along those formative years and getting into an international career. So it was really, really simple and, and it was digestible. And I think that's when it comes to goal setting. People put these massive goals up um, and, and it's very hard almost as an Olympian because Olympics every four years, the scarcity is what makes it so special. But four years out, that's too far to feel motivated and engaged with a goal to probably the extent you need to be to in order to achieve it, particularly when it's a massive goal. I mean, if you want to be a millionaire and you've got 10 bucks in the bank account, that doesn't feel like you're ever going to get there. So you think, yeah, I'll just go out and waste that money, not think about it, not really plan around it too much. But if you go, well, my goal is to get to $1,000, and you get to $1,000 and it feels good. And then there's a sense of achievement. And then you go, okay, if I got to $1,000, maybe I can get to $10,000. And then all of a sudden you do that. And you start just making these progressions along the way and you feel successful. Even though you're not at your big goal yet, you've made all these digestible, realistic goals and you felt good about what you're doing. And that creates the momentum and the confidence more than anything to feel like you can actually get to the next goal. Then all of a sudden you are at a million dollars and you think, okay, what's the next big peak that I want to climb? So that goal setting, the really important elements to it are simplicity, clarity, and digestible goals with a big one in mind. And for me, that, that sort of came fairly natural as an athlete, but then I had to work out, well, how do I do that in business? And then you become, you know, a, a head of or a general manager or in the position of CEO now, how do I actually create and structure that environment for everyone else? Well, again, it comes back to the, the principles of absolute simplicity, two or three metrics. Let's not try and have 20 metrics so we confuse ourselves and trip over ourselves trying to achieve them and become disengaged along the way. And then what's the reward at the end of that? So it's like a really simple reward system in place, a couple of really simple metrics. And those two or three metrics, trust me, they'll drive everything else within the business that you're trying to achieve as well. And I find that environment's been super effective, you know, super effective both from a sporting point of view, but also a corporate point of view as well. It's a, it's a skill that is interchangeable, like you said, across all different jobs, occupations, whatever you're aiming for. Uh, we've we're, many people have heard about the smart system, you know, being able to create smart goals, yeah. which creates a simple yeah. system to stick to. And um, you know, we've really tried to make it what we call smarter goals. And Grant, you talked mm. about reward as well too, and really having you know a smart system of being able to evaluate them regularly and then rewarding yourself. And we have started working with our clients on actually 90-day uh, game plans as well too, Grant, because mm. we realize when, as a financial advisor, making these big goals that are potentially retirement or 30 years away, they just don't mm. touch it and feel it. So if we can create mm. these incremental steps to get there, they just are more uh, ingrained in the system and they start mm. believing that they're getting somewhere. Yeah. Not this goal that's so far away that they just can't even touch. So exactly, and, and and that's the thing. It's like you know, standing at the bottom of a mountain and just going, "How am I going to get up to the top of that?" But if someone says, "Just climb the first fifteen meters," and you get up there, you go, "Oh, this feels pretty good," and I achieve that. And as humans, everything's emotion, right? Like logically, I know I can get to that goal. I know if I do it like this, I could get there. But if you say to someone, "Get up there," and we recognize it, here's a bit of you know. Like if it's a financial goal, you can go out there and buy that thing if you get there a little bit early. Like we're, we're incentive-based animals. And then when we get there, we like to feel good about it. And then we naturally have this sense of confidence that we and self-belief that we can do it. And we almost need to feel those things, not logically, you know, or intellectualize them, but feel those. And then it enables us to sort of get on that journey. And I, it was, I didn't realize how important that was in my swimming career, but it's like, Every time you do a personal best time, it's the best feeling in the world. 
Yeah, I mean, I started five laps away from Kieran Perkins to give a bit of perspective on a 30-lap race. That's how mm -hmm. far when I put these goals in place I was off. So it was, you know, when you're talking about a sport that, you you know, I've got three Olympic silver, silver medals over a distance of 2,400 metres with a total margin of 0.8 of a second. Five laps is a long way for one race. So, and so for, for me, though, every time I did a PB or I progressed or I beat one of his times in the age group, like as a 15-year-old, that sense of achievement was huge. And it gave me the confidence to go back next season and, and be able to do it again. And there is nothing different about that, whether it's sport, business, politics, or you know, running your own small business, that if you're able to get those smaller goals, it creates that sense of belief and momentum. And it also does to the people around you as well. And if you're able to celebrate and recognize those, but then also you know, also create an environment where people understand what success and failure actually look like too. So you've mm. got to have a really clear definition definition of that. There's one thing trying to get a goal, but you also have to, you have to have consequences for failure as well. And that's an important part of goal setting. In sports, super easy because if you lose, it's just you naturally feel, you know, pretty crappy about it. But, you know, so, but in, in the corporate world, sometimes there's nuances that don't necessarily, um, you know, you don't suffer consequences. So you've got to feel the hurt because sometimes hurt is a good motivator to, to pursue the goal as well. As you know, you know, the more you fail, the closer you are to your next success and being able to appreciate those failures, learn from them and then take it to the next gear. I'm sure across your whole life has been the same. I know it's definitely been for me. It's when usually you hit that big failure that your success is around the corner. Well, but let's... It's really true. Sorry, just to John yeah, on that point, it's like most of the time after your biggest failures, you have your biggest successes, of course, and, and vice versa. You know, complacency can set in after success and, and then often you have your biggest failures. So, you know, people often look at, you know, even you know business career or sporting career and they sort of see where you're at or what you've achieved. But I've definitely failed more than I've succeeded on that journey, like unequivocally, like the amount of times where... I've gotten second or not met a time or not conquered something just in my training and my preparation has happened a lot more often than not, you know, so, but I've used that to be able to then get myself back to, to the stage of the goal that I want to. And it's the same within business. So, I mean, you have great days, bad days, but you know, you've got to use the bad days just as much as you feel the recognition of the good days. When it comes to wealth creation, most people at their first failure, unfortunately jump off the ship. Okay, and it's the ones that stick to it, yeah, and keep on with the strategy and kind of keep on improving that will end up getting where they get to. And we know that, okay, and that goes across anything. I think the biggest one as well, too, and I don't know if this fell into the into the stars aligned for you, but we use investment bonds very much for our goal-based advice, okay, mm -hmm. and very much... We'll go through, obviously, what bond, investment bonds are because some people don't even know what they are, but... Mm -hmm. Um, it's very interesting that we're talking about goals because when we set up investment bonds for clients, there's usually a specific goal in place. And simply by mm. having that account, it doesn't need to be an investment bond. It just mm. shows them that reward and that they're getting closer and closer. So mm. I don't know if the stars aligned, but I don't know if you've taken a notice of that yourself. But for me, mm. that was a big one. Having you on the show was around, obviously, I know that you've got this big kind of goal-orientated success Thing. And then even with Generation Life, there must be a linking between that as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, the reason that I actually got into to the space of investment bonds, because an investment bond, just to touch on that very quickly, is mm. 
an after-tax paying structure like superannuation. That's the easiest comparison. And as much as it hasn't been mainstream like a superannuation, it's becoming a lot more mainstream because of the changes to superannuation back in 2017 when they put a lot of caps on, you know, the total contribution cap and then the non-concessional concessional caps as well. And, you know, investment bonds have been around much, much longer than superannuation, but the changes to super just made that too attractive as the after-tax paying structure. You know, the innovations and everything else within this space kind of fell off a cliff at that particular point in time. Changes back to super have now put innovations back in this space. And so um, the best way to think of an investment bond is, um, you know, someone coming in wanting to invest is that you have different structures that you can invest within to grow your overall investment. So you can use yourself, you know, your personal um, name, you can use a company, you can use um, a trust structure, um, you can use your superannuation and you can use an investment bond. That's all it is. It's a purely a legal structure that you can invest within. The biggest, I guess, nuance with this um, in comparison to a lot of those other structures is it's very similar to super because of the after tax paying. So we do all the, the, the tax payments for you at an individual level. Um, the tax rate is a maximum tax rate of 30% versus 15% in super. So that's the big difference. But our effective tax rates usually sit below 20% for a lot of our high growth funds because of all your ad backs and the way we manage the money. So it's a very tax effective way to do your investing and you can access any asset class in there. And the reason I got into it is because I saw these changes in superannuation. My chairman, um, who's been very, very successful for probably close to 40 years in financial services, is you know, the CEO of some of the largest wealth groups um, throughout the country over the course of his career, you know, chair the likes of MLC, executive chairman at Colonial First State. So he's run a lot of big groups. He, he saw this years before that because he said, look, there's just so much money going into superannuation. I believe that at some point in time, they'll start to put the brakes on that and they'll start to look like, look at structures like this again. And I, I, I totally agree with him. And this is 2014. Changes came three years later. So he, he really has a crystal ball somewhere sitting up there. And he came in there and he personally took a, a massive stake within this business. He asked me to come in because I used to run growth assets for him when he was the CEO of Bankers Trust at BT, which is owned by Westpac. And um, yeah, we just went in and just innovated, you know, created an A-plus team, um, and really started to invest a lot of time and effort into this space. And look, it's been a real success story since that time. And I think for me, what really attracted me to it was just opportunity. You know, here's a big change within the industry and here's an opportunity to put your fingerprints on something that could have a significant amount of growth, got to be a lot of hard work. There's a whole sort of education process with the structure that's sort of laid, I wouldn't call it completely dormant, but hasn't been as mainstream as it was say 20 or 30 years prior to that that we've got to, you know, really step up to, to that challenge if we want to meet that success. And, and so far, it's certainly been that story. And we've we've felt exactly the same. Like, obviously, superannuation for most people is, is the best tax-effective structure to be in. Um, but now, especially with a lot of the younger generations starting their wealth creation journey very, very young, which is amazing to see. The other thing that we uh, ease as well to is in regards to accessibility. Um, and this has mm. kind of been a, a big one. Um, so for people that aren't aware, um, an investment bond be a structure. You can actually access the money whenever you want. But there are there, there are good tax provisions uh, or, or tax considerations that if you mm. hold the bond for longer than 10 years. Okay, so similar to like superannuation, when you hit, meet like preservation age or particular, mm. the investment bond has this kind of golden period, which is 10 years. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's very good when we go to then aligning goals because a lot of these goals usually are like, especially for say like the millennial group is like, mm. John, we don't want to retire when we're 60. 
We want the choice to retire when we're 50. <laughs> um, exactly. Okay, cool. And that might be 15 years away for these guys. And, and yeah, even if I don't want to retire, I still want to feel like I've got the choice. That's bingo. The it's thing. all about the, it's yeah. bingo about the choice. And then, you know, most of them are probably like us, Grant, that may be 80 years old, still working in some capacity, but just have the choice to do so, yeah? yeah. And really being able to align it to those kind of goals is in regards yeah. to having the funding. So we use it in regards to like the the early retirement funding, okay, yeah. um, which is this big kind of fire movement that we're seeing at the moment. And yeah. the other one as well too is in regards to specific goals for specific children, for example, mm. or for specific outcomes. Like, for example, by the time my kid is 18 years of age, yeah. I want them to have this bucket of money, uh, whereas probably back in the day, they've put it into, I don't know, a ComSec account or they've put it into a share scenario and, you know, it's not really been gold aligned. It might not have been as tax effective or they just simply didn't know about it. So there's in, yeah. in some cases, we've got like multiple different investment bonds, yeah, yeah. for different goals. Um, and for us, they play a really, really strong uh, role or important role both for tax effectiveness, structuring, but ultimately for the achievement of our clients' goals. And I'm sure you see that, and I'm sure that's very much obviously what I see generation life really pushing to the market on. Yeah, definitely. Everything that you've stated there is spot on. I mean, from a from a goals point of view, it's fantastic because the longer you hold the asset, the better the tax incentives are over time. So you kind of, you know, even if you take it out in four years, you've been able to create a decent tax arbitrage because you've had the benefit of deferral over that time period. But if you hit the 10-year mark, you know there's no personal tax liability to pay whatsoever. Even if there's $100 million sitting in there, you take out $100 million, you have $100 million to spend, not a big tax bill afterwards. So, you know, that's the big thing about it. It's it's one of those things that keeps incentivizing you to do more. And it was quite interesting. We wondered when there was that sharp market contraction because of COVID back in March 2020, whether there would be a lot of redemption redemptions given you know markets were falling quite rapidly and it was funny our redemptions went down so we found that people they're they're so connected to this goal based um emotionally that they're like no 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 i've got my not only if it's a long-term investment for me but it's also attached to another goal you know in terms of creating that tax arbitrage in there and if i've held this for five years i don't want to take it out now because i've only got five years until i get these you know sort of uh, I guess, you know, tax concessions, significant tax concessions as part of my investment. So that was really interesting to see that behavior from the thousands and thousands of investors that we have. Also, the other aspect to it, you're right around, you know, the comparison to superannuation that we, we receive so often is the liquidity. I mean, if you set up one of these today, but something happens that you don't foresee and you need access to those funds, you can access them next week, just like you could any other liquid investment. So, you know, you've kind of got the best of both worlds. You know, you've got this kind of long-term savings vehicle that creates more incentives for you along the way to be able to do it. But at the same time, you know, you can access those funds at any time if you need to. So, and your point before around people that want to have the optionality of retiring early, it is a great vehicle for transition to retirement. So we see a lot of young people that, yeah, of course, they're not going to be capped out at the 1.7 in superannuation. They, they might have 100000 or $200,000 sitting in there. But at the same time, they want to go, okay, I might maximize my super contributions or put a certain amount in, but at the same time, I still want to have a vehicle outside of that that I can tap into that still is tax effective, unlike, you know, if I'm on a high marginal tax rate. Um, so therefore, they, they set up an investment bond and often enough, they'll put a savings plan attached to it every single month where part of their income goes in there. And then they'll get this nice little nest egg where they think, well, I don't necessarily want to stop working, but I'd love to be able to dial down to three days a week. 
and they can do that and they can supplement their income tax effectively with the investment bond for that five or 10 year period until they you know, hit preservation age and then they can access their super as well. So it's the flexibility of the structure that is super attractive along with all the other you know, tax incentives that you receive around it as well. And then for, for us, we're investment agnostic. You know, We've got 61 options that sit on our investment menu. So you choose whatever you like, you build your own portfolio. We're, we're not sitting here as an investment firm telling you what to invest in. If you want to go on Australian equities or global equities or fixed interest or cash or whatever, you know, your, your underlying investment ethos is, you, you can do that. So for us, we, we kind of create, I guess, the structure, the tax benefits around it. Also, another you know, benefit that's huge when it comes to investment bonds is estate planning because it gives you 100% reassurance because of binding nominations. Um, and then the last aspect of it that people absolutely love is from a risk management point of view, because depending on the way you set up the investment bond is it's creditor protected. Section 1162D of the Bankruptcy Act, which I know well now, is that investment bonds are creditor protected. So if you want to be able to carve out some money, and particularly if you want to keep it in your personal name, you can do that through an investment bond and know that you've got protection, you've got tax arbitrage, and then you've got estate planning benefits. So you can use it for one or many, many things or many features of, of the particular bond to achieve your goals. It ticks It ticks a lot of boxes. And, and listen, I must stress, you know, before we continue anymore, like guys, this is general advice. This is not personal advice. Please do not go and act on mm. this. As much as they are great, you do need to seek personal professional advice in regards to your particular mm. situation because for some people, it is not the right not right vehicle for. Even though there is a lot of uh, mm. falls for it, there is sometimes it's not appropriate for you. So you should seek personal oh, advice. Definitely. If, if you're on a low tax rate, you know, this is not probably going to be the best investment, investment vehicle for you. So... I think, um, you know, we're such believers of Generation Life of financial advice because the financial landscape is so complex. You know, what structure do I use? What incentives do I get from the government? What's changing as part of the federal budget every single year that I can access now, particularly if I'm going into retirement, the complexity and, you know, challenges that you have around that. So you actually need someone just to help you optimise, not necessarily just your investment returns, but we're talking about the structural elements to it. And this is where I always say, people get make sure you get financial advice around this because you don't want to set up something that in five years' time where you go, oh, my God, if I had someone who gave me a little bit of foresight around the way I should do this, I wouldn't find myself in this situation now. So while you don't feel like you're making a mistake at the time, you can you can pay for it down the line. So we're, we're big believers in that. And we certainly, you know, at Generation Life, we've got a technical team where we work with financial advisors and we say, give us the scenario because we want to make sure that that scenario works for that particular client. And if it doesn't, don't do it. Go to another investment product because as soon as you start saying yes or manipulating ways for people to to invest with you, and that that get that gets exposed, you lose your credibility as a firm. So we're we're very you know set on that. We work very very closely with financial advisors and their teams on that as well. It's a, it's 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 very important for people to know that, and so you can see how closely the relationship is is like from provider to advisor. But I think the other one as well too is that we're all got this common goal in place, which we want the obviously the best outcome. And the best outcome is to have the highest probability of clients achieving their goals and aspirations. Yeah. Um, and this is where this whole kind of you know synergy between goals and goal setting and everything yeah. kind of comes in. There's all of these common goals. And it was very interesting. You said something about the um, the contraction that happened in the market um, in, in, in March 2020. And I think there's an element there, Grant, around um, reward and consequence. And it's like yeah. the reward is the tax-free element after 10 years. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. The if I pull out now, it's like, oh, I'm going to feel that pain. Yeah, I'm going to have to pay mm. that tax obligation or whatever it is. So, mm. you know, it would be very interesting as probably around the behaviors, which you know, I, I, you know, for people that are listening or viewing, one of my biggest strong points that I believe is around behavioral coaching and around behavioral mm. finance and the way that we can do that. And we very much saw that as well, too, Grant, that if we people had the right behaviors, they were just like, oh, I'm not going to touch that fire because I'm going to get burnt. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. It's it's you know even if you'd held the product for you know a while, like people don't understand. There's a, there's a lot of tax um, concessions and incentives to hold it. You know even inside ten years, even if you think I'm not going to get to ten years, because if you're paying a higher tax rate in one entity, and and some of our funds pay, you know tax of ten to fifteen percent or even lower of a couple of them. I try not to to oversell those ones for for obvious reasons. But you know if you're on a tax rate that's above thirty percent and you're achieving that, but you still decide to take it out in year five, you've got the compounding effect of being able to re reinvest a much larger amount of money um, over that that period before before you took it out. But what we found with um, you know investors through that particular point in time when markets were contracting sharply it's like well no i've already put five years into this investment so if i take it out and then things aren't as bad as what you know they perhaps you know we think because we always go over the top as humans right we think to extremes but if things don't play out as bad as what you know we, we seem to survive each time and markets seem to bounce back then why would i take that out and then start my 10 years again because if you take it outside of the structure then you've got to start again so i think people feel like i've put effort into those five years i've only got five years to go um, I've, nearly yeah. I've nearly made it to the Olympics. I've nearly made it to the Olympics. Why stop know? now? Just because I got an injury. Why stop now? So, and and people were rewarded very well for that because markets bounce back, and you know, depending on the tenure of your investment, you would have done exceptionally well through that period. I think the biggest other one as well too, um, when we're talking around investment bonds, is just how people, how many people are unaware of it. Obviously, people in the industry are very aware of it. They've been around for a long, long time, um, and they have come back into favour, you know, since the changes to superannuation and whatnot. But what do you reckon that is? What do you reckon is it just? superannuation was so much in the public view. There was a lot of marketing around it. There was a lot of dollars around it. Like, why is it that people don't know about investment bonds? You reckon? I think when you talk about structures, like, you know, things are either voluntary or mandatory in life. Superannuation is a mandatory one. You know, your employer's got to pay that as part of your, your SGs. And so people know about it, they understand it because they have to. Um, and, and I think that's what makes it, you know, really mainstream and keeps people up to date because there's always got to be commentary around that, particularly if there are changes, because those changes are going to pretty much affect everybody. Unlike an investment bond where it's only going to, you know, affect a certain portion of, of the, the, the population. Also, the other structures that people utilize to invest have been around for a very long time and are just common, like a, a company structure or a trust structure. So they've always utilized those accounts, understand and, and execute on those particular structures if people, you know, hit a certain amount of wealth. So I think, you know, it's just been stuff that's been ingrained in behaviors of, you know, your sort of trusted advisors where investment bonds has been one more to the side like where people have gone okay i'll use it for this specific purpose or this specific purpose and and so i think you know there's been a lack of knowledge or education um out there and like i said a super was just so attractive for so long and a lot of people who had wealth were pretty close to preservation age so why wouldn't you put it in that 15 percent environment versus the 30 percent environment and particularly when it was uncapped as well where now the kind of music has stopped on that so it's forced people to look outside of super and i think you know, whilst investment bonds aren't really appreciated to, to the extent maybe they should be, they are starting to get there and it's going to take time. But there's, it's not mandatory to put money in there. It's for people who want to educate themselves, <clears throat> understand what the optimal structure should be for them. And we never sell it as a, as a silver bullet. 
it, we always say it forms part of your overall structure. So, you know, you've obviously got perhaps a principal place of residence in your own name. You know, you've got some, you know, an investment property over here. You've got your superannuation over here. Your investment bond is for, for, for this purpose. And it can be something as, you know, big as estate planning where it's really going to help you equalise your estate or guarantee that that money's got to go to the beneficiary that you want it to and it's not going to be contested. Or on the other side of that, it can be for a big tax arbitrage because you're on a high marginal tax rate, you've got plenty of wealth and you want to make sure that you're reducing your tax liability year in, year out. So it just depends on what that purpose is. And look, to give you a bit of perspective, what has happened since those changes to super on the 1st of July in 2017 has taken place. You know, the business had been around for well over a decade before that, and it was averaging probably around 120 to $130 million worth of inflows um, per annum. We did that in, say, probably the last quarter. We probably reached that within seven weeks. So, you know, you can, you can see <laughs> how much it's sort of grown in what is a relatively, you know, short time frame um, since those changes to super. And we've brought a lot of innovations at Generation Life to the market as well. And, and, and I think the other one to add on to all of that and, and you know, ditto to all everything that, that, that Grant has said, I think the other one as well too, and for people that are really novice, like really novice and have a, like a no clue that it would even investment bond, there's also bonds which are like fixed income bonds. Please, yeah. they are not the same thing, okay? And <laughs> it is, and I'm not, you know, being straight up on this. Uh, I think it's just uh, it's just one of those kind of terminologies that has kind of adapted over time, yeah? And yeah. just please remember that fixed income bonds are actually an underlying investment asset, okay? Yeah. We are talking about an investment bond as a structure. Obviously, you've heard yeah. this over the conversation, but I think that that, that hasn't helped as well too. No, you're, you're spot on there, John. It's really, really funny because, I mean, I've been obviously doing this for a very long mm -hmm. time, so you kind of forget that. But bond is just a finance term. It's not actually something specific. It's it's mm -hmm. it's a finance term between an obligation between two parties. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're right. One is purely a structure to invest in. Think of a company, think of super, think of an investment bond. Um, that is the mm -hmm. way that works. And then, you know, on the other side, there is bonds, which are fixed interest products, of course. So, which Correct. is an asset class within itself. So, asset class over here, you know, investment structure over here. Because every time, the first time, like I'll present it to someone who's just starting out in their wealth creation journey, they'll be like, oh, don't I have that in my asset allocation? And I'm just like, <laughs> and I really need to go through it all. And, you know, um, obviously after a while, they understand the differences, but I think that hasn't helped in regards to the unawareness of it because it's just that, you know, that, that, that naming stuff. But, um, Grant, Thanks for jumping on. Um, it's been really, really great understanding, obviously, that, you know, how you think about goal setting and how that flows on into both of you, you know, your, your career in and outside the pool. And obviously, you know, we share that passion around investment bonds and obviously, you know, really helping people achieve their goals and aspirations. But on a lighter note, man, it's probably a bit of curiosity for me. Do you, do you still jump in the pool? Do you still get in there? <laughs> I jump in there, but not to swim the laps that I used to. I mean... To give a little bit of perspective on the, the training schedule that I had to undertake to go into Olympic Games, I'd be doing 15, 16 kilometres a day, six days a week. Yeah. And, you know, those sessions um, are just about rocking up and doing that many kilometres. It's about doing it better than the guy on the other side of the world, you know, who might be over in the UK or US or China, wherever your main competitors are coming from. So for me, I jump in the pool now with the kids. I'll do a few laps with them, have a little bit of fun with them. Um, and that's about it. It's it's funny. I think I was like, I think I was scared of the bathtub when I re really retired after the baby. <laughs> it was just yeah. like I'd done, I'd spent so much time. I started swimming when I was four 
and I was yeah. doing serious kilometers by probably the age of 12 or 13. And I was doing a lot mm. of sports and the, the, that defining moment in 1993 made me drop footy, made me drop mm. surf lifesaving. I was doing the Ironman there mm. and just really focus on the pool. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, for me now, it's just about keeping fit and, I find sports just my sort of, it's my mental health, right? Like it's the thing yeah. that sort of gets that pressure release, gets a little bit of balance um, back emotionally for me. So that's that's the purpose of sport now. But yeah, swim, swimming is relegated to a few laps with the kids and that is it. <laughs> any of the kids Any of the kids got a little bit of a, a passion for it yet or are they still a bit young or...? Yeah, probably. I mean, I've got I've got twins from a first marriage and a, and a mm-hmm. two year old from a second marriage. So yeah, we've got one in there that really enjoys her, her swimming. She seems to to really gravitate it towards it. But she's kind of got that athletic ability where she's good at you know all sports. So she kind of just jumps in and good coordination and is, just has that natural ability. But um, yeah, the the, the two year old seems to really love the pool. It's it's funny where we live. Um, I live in an apartment building and we'll walk past where the pool is and all you hear is pool, 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 pointy. Oh. And he's always, so he, he seems to enjoy it for now. But it's kind of funny. It's one of those things that now as a parent, I can reflect on what my parents went through because I'm like, surely all parents get up at quarter to five with you and take you down to the pool every day before school and then go to work all day and then cook for you, take you to swimming carnivals on the weekend, make sure you travel interstate for all the other bigger meets that you have to get into. So... I'm not sure I want them to get that good because I'll have to do all the stuff. At my <laughs> and now I see how hard it is. So, you know, if they want to do it, support them 100%, but uh, not con- not too concerned if they want to just do sport for general fitness as well. Yeah, no, that's it. And, and, and mate, I think, you know, me as a father and probably you're the same, I think until you're, until you're a parent, you, you don't really realise how much they love you and how much they did for you. And, and um, yeah. you know, it's amazing what the parents did. And then, you know, hopefully we can do even half of what they did for us. So, Grant, yeah. thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for jumping on. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure I'll, uh, I'll speak to you soon. But uh, for all the listeners, um, I'm hopefully enjoyed that and look forward to speaking to you and seeing you on the next episode. Cheers. Beautiful. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me, mate. Much appreciated. Thanks. Thank you.